And welcome back to BGFC Weekly, where we talk about all things our Golden Lions. I'm Jimmy, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, the Yale graduate and WKU women's soccer coach, Jason Nadell. Did I say that right? Nidell. Nidell. Yep. Jason, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for being on. You're our first outside of BGFC guest that we've had, so I'm very excited to have you. Um, no pressure. Wow, I feel extremely privileged. That is a lot of pressure. Some big shoes to fill. I was watching uh, some of the other podcasts, so got yeah. some big shoes to fill today. You, you were talking about you watched AJ's and Michael's and stuff like that before, so best of luck following them. No, thanks. Thanks. On today's show, um, we'll not only be talking with Coach about WKU women's soccer season, um, but also some other things related to collegiate uh, sports, especially how like NIL is affecting college soccer, how college realignment is affecting soccer. Uh, but before we jump into all of those things, uh, we are still want to take a peek at the UPSL National Tournament. Um, so at the time of recording, uh, we had just finished the round of eight for Beeman United. Um, so they took on, as a reminder, uh, Georgia FC. Um, if you remember back to our previous podcast, Michael and I both took Beeman to win over Georgia. I took the game four to two, and I said the over-under for the game would be five total goals. And I'm very happy to say that if you took the over in that one, you're doing pretty well. Um, it did not turn out in any way, shape, form, fashion how we thought, however. Uh, Beeman United six, Georgia FC three. Um, so for folks that didn't get a chance to watch it, Georgia jumped out to a 3-0 halftime lead um, and really was in control of that game in the first half. Coach, when you're going into halftime down 3-0, how do you respond? <laughs> well, uh, it's a knockout round. So, you know, you're just you're trying to revisit your uh, your tactics and probably thinking about how to throw everyone forward to at least get that first goal back to get you back in a position where you can uh, get back into the game. Right, because once you get that first one, then you can start trying to get momentum yeah, the going. The problem with it, that, you know, obviously they won the game, six six consecutive unanswered goals. Yeah. But, you know, obviously the the problem with it is if you're down 3 nothing, you're throwing numbers forward and you get a fourth one scored on you, it's, and it's, then it's over. Yeah, it's over at that point. So that's actually a really good point. I wanted to ask you about it. Scoring six goals in one half, not an easy feat for any team. Manchester United, uh, D.C. United, anybody, it, that's an impressive feat to happen. How do you look to capitalize and ride that lightning into your next game? Wow. Um, you know, obviously they were able to f figure out uh, maybe some, some weak spots in the opponent and, and attack those. Um, obviously they're going to be different in the next game. But, um, you know, and you want to continue to be good at things you're good at and right. try and scout your opponent and figure out what you, what you need to do to create chances. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. Six goals in a game is a, is a lot. Nine goals in a game is a lot. Yeah, for a total. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. And it's funny because like, you know, so some people that I talk to in the soccer community, they're like, why do you keep saying these high totals? Nobody ever scores that high. Uh, hello, nine in this one game. Come on. Well, well, I can say, unfortunately, when we start talking about WK soccer, most of our games are pretty low scoring. So, OK, I will duly <laughs> note that because, you know, uh, we will be talking about you all this season on the podcast. Just briefly mentioning how good you all are doing, of course. Um, so I'll make sure my predictions stay 2-1 at, at most. 
Um, so now that sets up a Elite Eight matchup between Beeman United and Lakeland United. Um, both of teams will be having to travel for that game as it'll be held in Evans, Georgia, which is kind of like northeast, or I'm sorry, northwest of Augusta, Georgia, about a six-hour drive for both teams. So, Coach, my question for you, what goes into preparing a team for uh, an Elite Eight a final four kind of a situation. What goes into that? Yeah, I think, I think first there's a, there's a psychology to it. I think mm. just uh, trying to stay level headed, um, you know, you don't want to get too high or, or too low and make sure you're focusing on things that you know that your team's good at um, and hanging your hat on kind of your style of play and what your identity has been all year long. I don't think you want to change too much. I think sure. the other thing is I think you want to like just, physically and mentally try to stay in this similar routine yeah. to what you've been in all year long. Um, um, and then the last thing I think just physically, probably at this point in the league play or in the, in the season, you probably want to be tapering. You know, you don't want to be right. doing super heavy practices. You want to be conserving your legs for, for the big game. Right. So when you get late in the season like that, you know, how much gas do you take off? You know, is it a 50% practice? Is it 75? How do you? Yeah, stuff I, th- like that? I think it's a little bit of a feel for feel for the team. You know, I don't know what kind of technology they, they have as far as GPS wearables and stuff like that. Um, but that stuff, sure. becomes, that stuff can become important too. Um, but, you know, I mean, probably by the end of the season, there's probably not a single player that's playing at 100% capacity. No. They're no. probably compromised to some degree based on fatigue and and, this, and the wear and tear of the season. So, you know, I think you want to keep it light and keep your guys as, as recovered and fresh as possible. Absolutely. And, you know, you got to make lots of subs to do stuff like that. So you've got to make sure that, you know, if you have younger players, they're up to par and ready to, to go with everyone else. Um, but, yeah, it's no easy feat for any team. Um, so we're proud of them uh, being in the Kentucky-Tennessee Premier Division with them. Uh, really are rooting for them against Lakeland. Um, just quickly, uh, for those, you know, if you take a quick Google for Lakeland United, they have a really beautiful crest. Uh, it's like a nice light blue. It's got a like a swan on it. Like, it's really good. It's it's quality. Well, you, you also mentioned something that's going to probably be important is, is uh, you know, in this league, you've got some really young players, aspiring yeah. players, but then you've got some older veterans too. And and how you're managing your roster with the older players who are probably more fatigued at this point, yep. and the younger players who probably have a bunch of energy still left. You, you know how you manage and approach the game within like the profile of your team is going to be important too. Absolutely, and you, that's a really good point because Beeman does have that. They have a couple of MLS ish players. There were a couple of I think there are three or four players from the Nashville SC era of Nashville. MLS franchise uh, that are still on the Beeman team. So those players are in their you know mid to maybe even later 30s at this point, and they do have some pretty good younger players as well. So I think it was a great point, you know, to say like you got to manage one set of legs, but also you got to keep the younger guys ready as well. Absolutely. So you know, Lakeland uh, going back to them, they did not have a great regular season. They went four, four and two. So four wins, four losses and two draws in the West Florida division. Uh, they finished fifth and barely snuck in, but they are on a burner. They beat the number four seed, the number one seed and the number two seed all in the Florida division to make it to the national tournament. They won the round of 32 and the round of 16 on PKs. So this team is on fire. 
So your coach, when you've got a team that, you know, was kind of middle of the table all year, but then it just taken off like a rocket, how do you manage that? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is just keeping perspective and, and certainly not underestimating them. I think absolutely do, do your homework, make sure you're prepared as you would be for, for any other game. Obviously the game's at this point it's way more important anyway. So I don't think anyone's taken taken any opponent lightly. But uh, no. but yeah, I mean that's uh, they probably uh, you know they figured things out. I mean it's all about uh, it's all about peaking at the right time. Absolutely. So, Coach, I don't know if you, you've paid much attention. Do you want to throw out a prediction for Beeman Lakeland? Sounds like it's going to be high scoring. I don't know. Okay. So, you, <laughs> you're going high scoring what? 4 2? 4 1. 4 1. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go 3 1. So, I'm not too far off from you. I'll set the over under at 4. Um, but please make sure you go down into the comments, especially if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, let us know your score of what you think the final score for Beeman United, Lakeland United will be. But now, Coach, let's jump in. Let's start talking about you a little bit more. Let's talk about you know your playing career. Let's let the audience kind of get to know you a little bit more. So talk to me about what was your first memory of soccer as a kid? Whew, first memory of soccer. Probably um, trying to chase my older brother around. Um, he was three years older than me. Um, he was a, a big, strong kid. Um, used his uh, physicality to be a, a really good player at a young age and I was always trying to play with the older older boys, so probably just chasing them around, uh, just just in the backyard and stuff like that. Sure. So did y'all play anything else other than soccer? Uh, played some football growing up. Oh, okay. Uh, but, what but, position? But I was a place kicker. Okay. So I, you know, sometimes <laughs> that, that qualifies, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but uh, but I didn't I didn't really I didn't really enjoy um, that very much because it you know it wasn't active enough because you yeah. come out on the field for for you know thirty seconds here and there. If that, um, I mean, yeah. your kick may take six, seven seconds, and then you're back off. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of pressure on place kickers, um, but they're not, you know, they're not really a part of the team. They're kind of separated, right? Um, and so it's just it, it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted from a team sport. Yeah, and you know, I can definitely talk about that. I played American football um, up through high school. I was not very good. Don't. This isn't like one of those stories where it's like, oh, he was great. No, no, I was barely a starter my senior year because uh, <laughs> we had nobody else. Uh, but, you know, uh, you, you talk a lot about kickers not being part of the team. That, that is a very true aspect. Like even as, you know, I was an offensive lineman, we, the kicker would come in for 15, 20 minutes of practice and then we'll get to leave. You know, meanwhile, me and the rest of the guys were fighting it out for two hours. So it is important, you know, to manage a team like that to where you can keep them involved in the team but you know sometimes it's just different coaches have different strategies i guess absolutely what was the longest field goal you ever hit uh in, in practice in practice i hit a 57 yarder with a, with a stiff wind behind me with a stiff wind behind me um hey, in a game the longest though, in a game the longest i ever made was a 43 that's still pretty cool yeah it was a, it was, it was a fun experience but you know soccer soccer is my my first and true love so okay um, so we talked about a big highlight for American football. What was your biggest youth highlight uh, as a soccer player? Any championships as a kid or yeah, anything? Yeah, probably the biggest youth highlight was uh, going to the under-14 USYS regionals when that was Legit. still the big thing in youth, in youth soccer. I mean, nowadays there's so many other tournaments and, and national championships, but we went to the Southern Regionals as 
four, 13 or 14 year olds. Um, and we, and we won the Southern regionals. Hey, um, there you go. Which, now where was that at? Like, um, we, we did it. It was in Memphis, Tennessee that year. Okay. Um, but like where, where, where was your team from? Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. So that was something I couldn't nail down. So I'm, I have a question here in a second about you playing at in Tulsa uh, as a professional, but I couldn't tell exactly where you're from. Yeah, no, I grew up, uh, I, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, but okay. raised in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma and went to uh, kindergarten through K through 12 in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma and played soccer there. Awesome. So you, you took that youth career in Tulsa, you went to Yale. Yeah, you know, you led Yale to the uh, final eight in '91. Is that right? In the NCAA tournament, I wouldn't say I led them. I was a part of the Your team. WKU that, profile says you led the team. Well, I might have, I might have walked out on the field first once that year because <laughs> that was your freshman year. That was my freshman year. Yeah, yeah. I did think I noticed that. But what was it like playing at the Ivy League level in the early '90s? It was cold. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine so. Um, no, Especially was, being from Tulsa. Yeah, no, it was it was great. It was a great great experience. Um, we had we had a really strong team. Um, in my freshman and sophomore years. Um, it was a great experience. It was a great experience of just being with like minded people who who love the sport, who um, wanted to aspire to be good in the classroom too. Um, at that time, you know, soccer was soccer was still fledgling. Uh, you know, there wasn't any professional, real, real, real professional soccer in the United States, and college soccer was fledgling. Uh, it's mm. it's a lot different now than it was back then, but it was great. I mean, we get to, we got to play when we went to the Elite Eight. We went to Virginia and played against Bruce Arena's squad um, wow. in the Elite Eight. Um, That's cool. they knocked they knocked us out. They went on to win the <laughs> national championship that year, but that was that was kind of neat. Well, and you know, when you lose to a team that wins the national championship kind of feel a little bit better about yourself like okay yeah we lost but so beeman i'm looking at you you beat a seven to two win this darn national championship if you make it that far and make us feel a little bit better please and thank you um so you know you talked about the early to even into the late 90s soccer was kind of fledgling it wasn't as big as it is today you still had a chance to play professionally in tulsa and in harrisburg what was that like yeah so I think MLS started in 96, if I'm correct. That sounds right. Um, And so I came out, I graduated in 94 from Yale, and really the only – Really, the only way to play professional soccer was indoor soccer. And there okay. were two leagues at that time, the CISL, which was more of a kind of a, a west of the Mississippi League, um, and then the um, NPSL, which was in the Midwest and East. Um, and so, honestly, I just – I knew I didn't want to go back to school right away, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I thought, well, I'll try and play soccer for a little while longer. So I actually went up. I was not drafted. Um, I went up for a, a two-day tryout at Harrisburg, an invite-only tryout, and I was there a full month before they signed me to a contract. Dang! Um, and you it was just uh, crashing on people's couches. They know. Well, I had a, I stayed with the host family. Oh, okay. Um, and it was a it was a really neat experience. I only played one year in the league. Um, indoor soccer is a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, I, I traded shifts with a guy named Richard Chinapu who was a Caribbean national team player um, and uh, a real, he was 38 at the time and I was 22. So he kind of took me under my wing and uh, he mentored me and it was just a really great experience. And and it was interesting at that time because most of the NPSL were, um, were guys who, 
got went into the NPSL either straight out of high school mm-hmm. and or didn't have college degrees. And it was really interesting because our team was one of the few teams that most of the guys had actually graduated from college. Hmm. How so, well did, did that help you all do? Well, I think or? I think it did translate because I think that we were, you know, fair, fairly disciplined. Um, a little more developed. A little bit more developed, like structure. Um, you actually, that, that year was – was one of Harrisburg's best seasons. We actually went to the uh, NPSL uh, national national finals. Legit, yeah. And where we got where we got uh, swept. So well, it happens. <laughs> Take it from us. Uh, <laughs> um, who knocked you out? Do you remember who? I believe it was the uh, St. Louis team. I don't okay. remember. I don't remember their name back then, but it was the St. Louis. One of the St. the St. Louis team it might have been the St. Louis Ambush. I don't know the name, but, but I'm over here by the really Louis trying team. to rack my brain on my knowledge of the NPSL. It was a long time ago. I yeah. think, I'm not even sure Cosmos? if the league still exists. Um, no, the Cosmos were in the NASL, NASL, yeah, the National North American Soccer League. But there the NPSL, like I said, was was the was the kind of dominant league. In 1995, right before MLS came out. Gotcha. Um, and probably when MLS started in 96, I was probably good enough to probably have been on one of the rosters. So what happened? But, uh, well, I got into coaching. Okay. Um, but I got injured. I got into coaching. But, th- like, MLS nowadays, there's no – I'm not even close <laughs> to – even in my when I was in my prime, I'm not even close enough to being good enough for what the MLS has become now. Well, and it has come so far. And, you know, I was watching um, a podcast earlier today about um, it had our current coach, and I just blanked on his name, our national team coach. Anyways, put it down in the comments because holy cow, I'm just blank. But he was talking about, like, you know, is it better to take an active superstar MLS player or somebody from Europe who's, you know, been riding the bench or something like that um, if they're at, like, a top-tier club? Like, who would be better? Um, and his answer was surprisingly, he might even lean more towards the European player just because in practice, it still may be at MLS level. So the MLS has come a long way, but we still have a long way to go to even strongly compete with those top European clubs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, but the MLS is playing at a really high level now. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and soccer in the U.S., both men's and women's, has come a long ways in the 35 years that I've been associated. So. Absolutely. So talking about coaching, what got you into coaching? Oh, um, I mean, I that year that I was in Harrisburg, I was hamstrung with a bunch of injuries. Um, and I kind of just started coaching on the side because because I couldn't, couldn't participate at the level I wanted to. And it kind of just stuck. Understandably so. You know, you get to that point and you got to make a choice. And that seems like you made a good choice so far. hope so. Um, so what – was uh, were there any highlights of your coaching career prior to coming to WKU? Yeah, I think probably most of them were in the youth game. I think um, I was the director of a, a club back in Tulsa called Tulsa Thunder that doesn't exist anymore, but we uh, we won the club's first and second state championships. Legit, um, which was which was super cool at the time because we were you know a growing club and an aspiring club, so that was kind of neat to get the get that feather in the cap of the club. So then you kind of took that experience and then you rolled that into the job at Western, right? Um, well, I was an assistant at the University of Tulsa for five years. Okay. Um, and then uh, was hired at 
Western Kentucky in November of 2000 to start the program in the fall of 2001. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. You've been the only women's soccer coach, correct? Yes, sir. So what is what does that mean to you? Well, I think, you know, we we use this a lot in recruiting um, is simply the fact that I have an attachment, a sentimental attachment to our program that few coaches in any sport at any level can say that they have because because I've been there the whole time. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of like running your own business. I started it. Absolutely. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I have a an ownership in it that that few few coaches have in their programs. Yeah. So, you know. And I don't know what your future plans are, but it doesn't seem to me like you would be somebody who'd be more willing to bounce to a higher position just because it's available to you. Well, and you know, I love I love WKU, um, and I love this community, and and my wife and and I and our daughter love being a part of this community. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool community to be a part of. I have to say. So let's use that and let's kind of transition a little bit. Let's start talking about um, NIL. You know, I know this is something that a lot of people who follow a lot of college sports are really talking about today. Um, but for the people who don't know what NIL or name, image, and likeness stands for, can you kind of explain it to the audience? Yeah. So, you know, be, because college athletics is amateur, um, student athletes aren't allowed to have, have not previously been allowed to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, what they've been allowed to do is they've been allowed to accept their scholarship, which um, contains five components. It it contains tuition, um, housing, meals, books, and what's called cost of attendance, which is Mm. some spending money that they're allowed to have. But those are the five components that make up a a scholarship. Um, And, you know, within the last couple of years, they've now opened it up where now student athletes are allowed to make money based on who they are um, and the fact that they represent their – their university, um, you know, mostly uh, supposed to be done in, in with advertising and promotional type of stuff, um, but it can st- extend to just about just about anything. Because it could also be kind of like endorsements as well. Yeah, absolutely. Endorsements are, are a big part of that. Cool. So, you know, to this point, what have you seen the NIL impact be on overall collegiate soccer? Well, you know, most of what our players, um, and I can't speak to, I can't speak to what like Stanford's players sure. are doing or Notre Dame's or anything like that. But uh, most of what our student athletes have been involved in is kind of like um, gifts in kind and trade out and stuff like that. So they'll provide an endorsement of a product and then they'll get free product. Hmm. So um, something on like their social media or something like that. Yeah. So larger than that. So things like uh, liquid IV or or meal or meal prep plans or things like that is kind of what our players have have seen and done. Um, you know, there's uh, you know I'm sure there's some monetary exchange going on in soccer, but most of what our players are getting is is, is product in exchange for services. So talk to me about how how do you get that set up? Is that something that Western does? Is it something the athletes do? How does it work at WKU? Yeah, so we're, we're actually not allowed. The coaching staff isn't allowed to be involved in that process. Okay, that would that's make, understandable. That would actually make it non-compliant in yeah. regard to NCAA rules. So, so what the university has done or the athletic department has done is set up a platform where the um, players – are able to go on the platform and make their own deals. So, so the university provides That's the cool. platform, but the uh, 
but the student athletes are ultimately responsible for it, responsible for uh, tracking it, responsible for, for logging it and, and all of that stuff. So, That's legit. So I, I have no idea it was like yeah. that. So I honestly don't really know um, much of what our players are involved in unless I see it on social media or ask them. <laughs> Or if you see them in the locker room, they're like, BioSteel, yay, or whatever. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, kind of last question on NIL here, Coach. What do you think is the the long-term impact that it could have on your program? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – it's going to have a, a long-term impact on football and basketball. Yep. Um, and that's changing the, the landscape completely in those sports. But I think for the Olympic sports and in particular women's soccer, I think where it impacts us is not necessarily who can get the biggest NIL deals, but it, what it does is it perhaps changes the landscape of priorities. Mm. And what I, what I mean by You're that is, that. what I mean by that is we need, we need, and we want our players to be student athletes, right? We need them to want to do well in school. And we need them to want to win championships on the soccer field. Um, and where it, where it, where the NIL comes in is it becomes a distraction, mm-hmm. one of many other distractions of where you're prioritizing and spending your time. Are you trying to make social media deals right. or are you interested in practicing soccer to make yourself the best soccer player you can? So, so I think where it becomes a challenge for us is just managing priorities. So how do you help the athletes manage those priorities? Well, I think it's it, I think it's on the front end. I think it's on the front end of them understanding that you know they're there to be a student and an athlete, and we're, and we're in the business of trying to win championships if we can. Um, and the the deals that the you okay, and the deals that they yeah, might be good. able to get through nil are are certainly second <coughs> certainly secondary to to you know the things that we're trying to accomplish as a team. Yep, and now that I just uh, lost one of my nine lives there, Coach, <clears throat> this is why you, they here. tell you in radio, no, I have my own drink over here. That's why they tell you in radio and in TV, don't drink, don't eat nothing. <clears throat> and it's the first time in ten epi- nine episodes that I've uh, done that. Didn't realize, didn't realize I'd get you so choked up. Yeah, yeah I mean, NIL is, is <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> it's causing me to cough. Um, but no, I, I really like how you all have that set up for them. You seem to have it set up where... They can make their choices. They can see what's available. They can see what they want to spend their time on, what they want to get out of the experience. And if it is to chase the clout and the, the, the money, you can. But it comes at a cost of playing time, potentially. You're not from you, but from lack of them not spending so much effort on the field. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's what you're going to see long term. So then let's, uh, let's shift gears and talk about the other giant elephant in college sports, college realignment. <laughs> yeah, I told you I was going to take it easy on you. Yeah, I think I think we're probably headed in the direction. I still think we're a few years away, but I think we're headed in the direction of these like mega leagues or super conferences, right? Where absolutely the SEC is going to have twenty teams or thirty teams. The Big Ten is going to have twenty or thirty teams across the country and in, in divisions. I think that's probably long term the direction that we're headed, and it's all. You know, it's all dictated by, by really by, um, by TV, yeah, by TV contracts. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about it specifically is because you've already kind of been through it a little bit. So taking you know the WKU teams from the Sun Belt to Conference USA in the mid two thousands, what was that experience like? Well, um, 
we underestimated what that experience was going to be like. We thought, you know, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's we, we, we finished the Sun Belt as the winningest soccer program at the time in the, in the history of the Sun Belt, as far as just wins and losses. And we thought we would just jump right in and just be super, super competitive in Conference USA um, and found that it was a much bigger step up than we thought it was going to be. Um, and it took us probably two or three years to actually really catch up and get our feet under us. So how did you do that catch up though? Like what went into well, extra recruiting? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was raising the recruiting ceiling and, and talking about, you know, some specific traits that we need in our athletes that maybe we didn't have um, in the, in the Sunbelt athletes that we had. So it was, it was a full, it took a full cycle, a, rec- a couple full recruiting cycles. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's any relegation promotion, even like, you know, if your team isn't up to snuff, you're going to keep sliding down. But when you do start get going up, you've got to make sure that you've got the athletes to replace them to fill those roles. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, rec- you know, in college athletics, recruiting is our lifeblood. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's all of, <laughs> I mean, we have we have four, sometimes five years with a player. I mean, then they go on and do different things. And and the reality is, and we tell our, our players in the locker room this all the time, there's only two ways for us to make our program better. One is to recruit better players than what are in the locker room. Right. Um, and the second one is, is to develop the student athletes who are currently in the locker room. Those are the only two ways to make your program better. Right. So, you know, on that note, you know, when the mega powers move, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, UCLA now, what impact will that have on collegiate soccer overall? It's hard. It's it's hard to say. Um, it's really hard to say. I think, uh, and this is just just my opinion, but I think long term, I think we're headed into a realm where we're going to see four divisions in college athletics instead of three. I could understand that. Um, I, mean, I think the Power Five at some point is going to break off and form a super super league of some kind um and super duper league yeah and i don't know so but that's I, I, that's not gonna happen tomorrow no but that's that's what i envision um in a long-term landscape is instead of three divisions in college athletics you might see four well if you look back even i think it was like 2014 or 15 the new athletic or newer athletic director at northern illinois university proposed um the power or no the group of Power six. five. No, so it's a power five, group, group of six. Of, group of five. Group of five. Yeah, mm-hmm. there we go. Um, you know, he proposed that they have their own playoff. You know, let the big group have their playoff. Let us have our own playoff. And it would have been exactly what you said there. You know, it would have been four tiers um, at that point. But when it comes to soccer, though, what impact would that have on the soccer programs at, you know, UK, Vanderbilt, you know, Iowa, whoever? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, – I think conference realignments certainly certainly one issue. Um, it's it's already you know it's already hard to compete with the Power Fives as it is just from a, a resource, sure. just from a pure resource standpoint. You know, I mean most of the most of the athletes that we recruit at WKU are being recruited by Power Five schools, and so it's about for us it's about finding finding the right niche or the right fit for some student athletes that maybe, maybe there's something that they didn't like about that power mm. five environment. Like, you know, maybe, we, maybe like right now the opportunity, maybe we can offer them more scholarship money than sure. a power five because a power five might offer a kid 25% of a scholarship. And maybe we're offering that same player a hundred percent of a scholarship. 
Um, maybe it's the opportunity to uh, to play right away as opposed to going to a power five and having to sit out a year, maybe two years. Um, so that's, I think that could be a great option for so like our league. So those are things that, that give us give us some some recruiting niche. Um, but uh, there, the other thing that's that's going on kind of behind the scenes in college athletics is they're talking about going away from, you know, we're in a women's soccer is an equivalency sport where we're given an equivalency of 14 scholarships. Sure. They're actually talking about moving away from that and moving mm-hmm. into an environment where they set roster limits. So like maybe we'd be allowed and uh, this is hypothetical. Maybe we'd be allowed sure. 25 players on our roster. That's what we'd be allowed. We'd be allowed no more than that. But we'd be allowed, based on what our school's available to give, we'd be allowed to give them as much money as we wanted scholarship-wise. So you could do 25 scholarships if you wanted to. If, if you had it, right? right. So that's where, that's where the Power Fives obviously have a huge advantage because they've got hmm. kind of endless banks of cash, it seems, to, to be able to do that sort of thing. You know, Western Kentucky University isn't going to have 25 scholarships to give to their women's soccer players. Right. Well – you never know. Maybe. Um, <clears throat> so the Conference USA, though, they're actually going through their own transition right now with Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA all leaving for the American. Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss moving back to the Sun Belt. Um, what will you miss most about playing the teams that are leaving? I think the the cordiality um, with their staffs, because I think the staffs in um, – in our league are very, very close. Um, and then, and then some of the, like, you know, some of the great rivalries that we've had with some of those schools, um, and some of those great games that we've had. Um, but you know, our, our league's picking up four schools. We actually lose, we actually lose Southern Miss, Old Dominion, um, and, um, Marshall immediately. Oh, so they're out, they're that. out for this fall. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's so no more Huntington, West Virginia. Yeah. That's, that's, go, that's gone right away. Um, and then, and then the following <laughs> year we lose those big, the big city market schools. Um, so, uh, you know, we're certainly going to, it's going to be a different landscape. It's going to look different. Um, no more trips to Boca. Yeah. Well, we still get to go to FIU. Well, okay. So true. Still get to, still get to, go, to go to Florida. And um, that's where uh, Miami FC plays, right? The USL team, I think. Mm-hmm. And we picked up, uh, we picked up Liberty. Yep. Um, so still, still trip to Virginia, um, New and Mexico State, Mexico Jackson State, State, and Sam Houston. Yep, exactly. So, um, so it's gonna, it's certainly gonna look different. Um, so, you know, I think time, time will tell. Yeah. So with all of this movement, you know, and so many teams moving out of Conference USA, do you know if WKU ever considered leaving? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there was some, some conversations um, with some different leagues about what that might look like. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're in Conference USA, at least uh, for the short term. And I think our job as coaches, whether it's volleyball, football, basketball, soccer, is to be the best version of ourselves in our league. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I think heading into this fall, we want to um, win a championship and put our mark on the league and, and then, you know, be the, become the flagship program for the new alignment of the conference, whatever that looks like. Absolutely. And, you know, you were talking about, You'd heard kind of some rumblings and stuff like that. I think I heard those same ones. It seemed like WKU was interested in going to the MAC, the Mid American, um, which I was majorly a fan of. I graduated from Northern Illinois, so I was like, "Yes, WKU, NIU, all day, every day, uh, red and black all over the place." But um, you know, it seemed like the MAC also wanted MTSU, our biggest rival, of course. 
Uh, but MTSU didn't seem to be as interested. I don't know if you had heard similar things or. Yeah, yeah. You know, all I can offer is my opinion because I really, I'm really not in the room where it happens. So. The room where it happens. Sorry. But uh, yeah, so um, just watch that this weekend. <laughs> It's so good. Um, I'm not even a theater guy, but it's so good. But my understanding was it, it came down to some some financial decisions that MTSU mm-hmm. had to make. I think they were interested in the move, but but it was going to be a, a pretty big financial commitment of getting out of Conference USA, but then also getting into right the MAC. Um, and so, you know, I think it was kind of a package deal that 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 maybe fell through, maybe fell through kind of at the last minute. Sure. So, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Liberty, New Mexico State, Jackson State, Sam Houston, Sam Houston State all coming in. What are you looking to the most about playing those teams? Well, I just think new places to go, some new places to go to, some new rivalries. Um, new Mexico State, that's Albuquerque, right? I, is, it's, it's, I, all I know is it's like 45 minutes from um, El Paso. Oh, so, so I don't think it's okay. – I, I don't know if it's Albuquerque. I don't. I, I couldn't tell you. It's a year, it's a year it's and a half all, away from my memory. So <laughs> it's either the Aggies or the Lobos, and I know one of them is going to be in the comments of this video, and is going to be very angry at me that I got that right. Um, there was a, a clip of a football referee one time that was like foul on this school, and it was the opposite, and they're like the fans just literally started booing. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading that on Twitter today. Um, thanks, everyone. Um, you know, last question kind of on this, Coach. Is there any team that you would like to see Conference USA go after? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I really I really like that um, that we've been in the same league with Middle Tennessee for quite some time. I think there's a nice, uh, friendly rivalry. It's called 100 Miles a Day. Yeah. yeah. But it's, <laughs> but you know, at least in soccer, it's a, fr- it's a friendly rivalry. Okay. Um, but that's a school that we want to continue to – to play against, um, and we want them to be in our conference. Um, you know, I haven't really – nobody's asked me that. I mean, you know, the, the nice thing about college soccer is is you build your own schedule. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you have, you know, eight to 11 conference games, but then you have a whole range of non-conference games that you, you get – You usually have, what, eight or more yeah, non-conference? Yeah, that, that you get to choose. And so, you know, who's – who's in our conference is important, but, you know, the reality is if there's somebody that we want to play, we just – email them and try to get a game with them. So that simple. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, to some degree. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got Kentucky coming here this, this fall. Um, We're going to Vanderbilt. We're going to Old Miss. Um, And so we've got a pretty good schedule. Um, And so, you know, I think it's just a matter of if there's, you know, not necessarily who we want to be in our league, but who do we want to play year in and year out? And we pick up the phone, we call them, we try to come to terms and arrange some games. That's legit. And we'll talk a little bit about, the upcoming schedule because there's a game that I am personally very passionate about, but we'll get there. So switching gears to 2021 Hilltoppers, um, 10, five and one, very good season uh, with victories over Vanderbilt and U of L and finishing second in the East fell a little short though, in the conference tournament to UAB one zero. Uh, what was that loss like? Um, it was an interesting game because they really – we played them in the regular season at their place, and they actually really dominated us. Mm. Um, and we snuck in a goal in overtime and won. Um, and probably, um, you know, I think in that game, we were we were lucky to get the to get the W and get the three points. Um, and so going into the conference tournament, we knew we were facing a really, really quality opponent in our first-round game. 
Um, probably not exactly who we wanted to match up with in the first round, to be honest, especially right. since since we had beaten them against the run of play in the regular season. Um, so, you know, the way the game played out, we actually felt like we played them better than we did in the regular season. But just, you know, how soccer is so so often and we just came out on the wrong end of it. So I think we were, we were happy, um, you know, disappointed in the result. But I think over the long haul, pretty happy with the season that we had. I think we overachieved in a lot of ways last year. Um, we had our first All-American um, in the spring of 2021 when we won the league. Yeah. Um, and she got hurt in our last oh. regular season game. And so we actually played the entire season last year w- without her. Um, and so I think based on the fact that we didn't have what's you know arguably our best player, that we uh, that we, we did some good things in the, in the fall of 21. Legit. So kind of looking at the transition between 21 to now 22 season, what's the roster looking like? Pretty similar, overhaul completely. Yeah, so we have uh, our second biggest roster in uh, program history with 29 players. Holy cow. Um, and it's the uh, the deepest roster we've ever had. We go two, if not three deep in every single position on the field. Um, and we're excited about what that, what that means and what that looks like because – College soccer, you play multiple games in a weekend, and it's a really, really short and intense season. And so to have um, a roster that can do a lot of things by committee mm-hmm. um, and to be able to rest some players while other players play is, is going to be is extremely important in the college season. You know, we talked uh, a little while ago about fatigue at the end of the season. Right. You know, our hope based on our roster is to be fresher at the end of the season than our opponents and to be able to make a deep run because we feel like we're a, a fresher, fitter, fitter team. But with that much depth, should be. Uh, well, we hope so. <laughs> hope I mean, to be. there's definitely there's definitely some some challenges with that, um, and it could easily, you know, as as a coach, it could easily backfire on you because roster management and managing players' expectations is is really challenging. And so, you know, at the point where like, of course, everyone wants to play, but not everyone, you know, there's only. A finite amount of playing time, and so Absolutely. I think how we're managing that as a staff is going to be really, really important this year. And and it could, it could, it could go south in a hurry and really backfire on you, and you could get you know some some troops, some of your troops could be you know disgruntled and unhappy. Absolutely, and you know you mentioned expectations, and you said you know you kind of want to throw those out. No, we're going to throw that completely out the window yet, Coach. Hold on, what are your expectations for the season? What um, do you want? What do you expect to happen? Our expectations that we're going to win a championship. There you go. Um, whether it's the uh, regular season title or the tournament title or both, our expectations are that we're going to be a championship team. So we're going to be in the NCAA tournament. That's the plan. There we go. So you start the season August 10th um, at 7 p.m. with a friendly versus my alma mater, Murray State University. I did not know that. Oh, no, yeah. Um, for the seventh matchup for what I am dubbing the battle for Western Kentucky. Uh, WKU has a 4-2 to series lead, but Murray State did win the last matchup in 2018. Uh, what are you looking forward the most from that matchup? Well, uh, Murray is a, is a fantastic side, um, and they're well-coached, yes. and they have a lot of really good athletes. Um, and it does get pretty intense when we play them. It's a pretty physical battle. Um, and so that is like – the perfect game to really see what we're made of and, and, and push us to the to our limits in the preseason. Right. Um, Coming right out of camp like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a great exhibition game. Like I said, they're they're a great team. Um, and so we're expecting a really, really good battle, um, a really good soccer game. Um, 
and just just one that, that helps hopefully prepare both teams um, for the road ahead. So you mentioned you know that you like the rivalry and stuff like that. Is this a game that you would like to see happen every year? Play Murray? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, we, let's we, make it happen then, Coach. That right. is literally my dream to see you all play every year. Because I work at Western outside of this, but as a Murray alum, I want to see the back and forth between the two schools. I think it's good for both, my opinion. Um, other notable um, big matchups um, you mentioned at Vanderbilt on August 25th, as well as hosting UK on September the 1st. How did you do that? How did that happen? You just sent the email like you mentioned earlier? <laughs> yeah, just sent the email. Um, <laughs> um, well, we you, usually in, in women's soccer, um, they're home and home. So okay. when you negotiate a contract, it's usually going, Like Vanderbilt. Yeah. You played here last year. Yep. There. And so um, the UK one's interesting because um, we played there in 2019. Mm. Um, and then... We were supposed to play, I think, at our place in 20, but then the pandemic yeah. hit. Um, and then they couldn't squeeze us into the 21 schedule because theirs was already done. And so the game got pushed off basically two, three years. Yeah. Um, and so this game is the return of the game that we had in 2019 at their place. Okay. So, you know, we mentioned those two matchups or those three, I should say. What is the biggest non-conference game you're looking forward to? I think probably Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a natural sense. rivalry. Um, I guess. Ugh, well, you know, Mur- Murray's, I would say Murray, but it's exhibition. Yeah, I got so. Um, I will probably be at both of those games. So one I'll be in red and one I'll be in blue. I'll let you figure out which is which. Um, so you start conference play mid-September. You know, what do you think, or I'm sorry, who do you think will be your biggest competition this year in, in the conference? Man, the league is so competitive. You know, I could throw a dart at a dartboard to – five or six teams, I think could win the whole thing. So, you know, it, I mean, the league top to bottom is just, it's just, it's just really competitive. Um, there's some new coaches in the league. So some teams might have different looks, but Rice is always good. North Texas is always good. Charlotte's always good. FAU is always good. I mean, it's, it's funny. You're naming teams that are leaving. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so it's true that, you know, for your perspective, like when they leave, Y'all are sitting pretty. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one of probably six or seven teams that 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 could win easily win the league, um, and and honestly, and, and in fairness, most of those teams are are departing the league. And you know, all of that kind of wraps up with the conference tournament in November in Charlotte. You mentioned NCAA tournament is the goal earlier, so therefore, I would assume your expectation is to win the conference in Charlotte. Absolutely. There you go. Got to get there first, though. Absolutely. Got a, got, got, a, a, got a long way got to go. Got to crawl before you can walk. Absolutely. And with that, we will kind of start to wrap up today's show. Um, Coach, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Had a great conversation. Um, as a reminder, we are still looking for a full-time sponsor for the podcast. Um, if you're wanting to jump into that, please feel free to uh, send us an email. Um, as well as if you would like to sponsor a certain segment, if you want to sponsor the interview section, the kickoff of the show, the end of the show, we're open to any and all kind of sponsorships and partnerships. Um, so please let us know uh, on our social media, as well as we will be back um, next week. We will have uh, the results from the final eight of the UPSL tournament, seeing how Beeman is doing, as well as I will be joined by Director of Sports Medicine for BGFC, Sean Goldburn. Um, to where you can talk a little bit about players' physical and mental health. 
coach, I'm sure you're aware, physical and mental health, huge part of the game. Absolutely. Uh, so with that, please make sure to rate, comment, like, subscribe, all that stuff to this podcast. And this is Jimmy signing off.